There's a lot of evangelistic value in artificial intelligence, especially if you take a look at the Hollywood manifestation of this. There is a whole lot of conversation at the academic level about what our Hollywood movies on artificial intelligence are saying. And they are telling the story that people are wanting a savior. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. As artificial intelligence, AI, grows exponentially in its capabilities, we find ourselves grappling with profound questions about consciousness, morality, and the very nature of existence. Today's guest, Kristen Davis, is a powerhouse in both apologetics and advanced technology. She completed her doctorate dissertation on Christianity and artificial intelligence, dispelling the myth that AI would one day disprove the existence of God. She is the founder of Doubtless Faith Ministries and speaks internationally. She is also the senior manager of systems integration for a financial tech company, where she leads an international team of software developers. Join us for an enlightening conversation as we explore the intriguing intersection of AI and Christianity, delving into the challenges and opportunities with AI for Christianity. Today, my guest is Kristen Davis, and she has just done her PhD dissertation on artificial intelligence. Kristen, tell us a little bit on the specificity of the topic that you've done your dissertation on. Yeah, so I was looking at artificial intelligence alongside human intelligence to discuss whether or not it could be used as an evidence for atheism. So sometimes people claim that if we could create a soul in silicon, if we could reproduce all of human functionality in something purely material, then we would have explained away the uniqueness of humanity. And as a result, we would no longer need God. And so that's an argument that's sometimes made. And I was pushing back on that idea that artificial intelligence could be an equivalent or a substitute for understanding the prerequisites of human intelligence. Woo. Uh, <laughs> you just blew my hair off. Uh, let's come back to that. How about we start out with a little bit about who you are, where you studied your own testimony, long as short as you like. I was raised in church in the Christian school, and I had just about as much God as you could get, and yet I had still missed the boat. I went away to college, and I fell away not because anybody questioned my faith, but just because it wasn't fun to follow the rules. Sure. And so um, that took me down a, a path that was not a very good one before I ended up a couple years later realizing my need for God, but I'd always mm. loved studying the Bible. I'd always loved my Bible mm. and logic classes. Mm. So even though I was far away from God, I got a software development job as an intern in my computer science program and then was like, well, I guess I don't really need this degree anymore. So it, because it had turned into a full-time job. So I started studying, I got a bachelor's of science and religion from Liberty because I just enjoyed uh, studying the scriptures. And so it was actually through my bachelor's and through my master's in Christian apologetics from Biola that I actually came to faith. Like mm. it became a real thing for me in interaction with God. <laughs> That's um, really great. <laughs> yeah. 
So it kind of grew from there. I was actually not even attending church until I finished my wow. master's. I was getting all completely fed through school. And then my heart for ministry kind of was born out of that. I wanted to continue to study, to continue to learn. So I went on to get a PhD, but also my desire to share all these things that I was learning in school that weren't necessarily getting out to the church. So Advanced education led you to the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably a unique apologetic by the, testimony. <laughs> by the power of his spirit. I, I will say, uh, we so we've done an interview recently with Michael Graham, who's written a book on the de-churching. And one of the notes that I found interesting in their research was that actually advanced education does not make people become atheists or turn away from God. That actually the higher education they have, the more likely they were to stay grounded in their faith, which I thought was fascinating. It's yeah. kind of antithetical to what we thought was the situation. Okay. Well, you clearly have a very logical process oriented mind. So you're a software developer. That's, that's your trade by day. Explain to me a little bit about apologetics in terms of where did that desire come from? I, I'm trying to imagine someone getting a degree in apologetics and being a non- nominal <laughs> Christian. <laughs> um, I think it came from the fact that I have always wanted to know if something's true. I've mm-hmm. always doubted no. and wrestled with believing people and taking people's words on things. Yes. Um, and so I had been raised in the church and my grandmother was actually my idol. I wanted to be mm-hmm. her and she loved mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. And I think that that rubbed off on me. And then as I wrestled with, is this true or not? I didn't want it to be false. I don't know that I ever officially articulated that to myself, but I think that's part of what drove me to want to study it and want to explore it because she had been so foundational in my life. Right. We've heard that from a number of uh, guests we've had in terms of a grandparent having uh, such a great influence on them. Okay, let's come back to artificial intelligence. I know a lot of our listeners are probably intrigued. As I told you at the beginning, I know almost less than nothing. So maybe walk us a little bit through what artificial intelligence is we hear it sort of bandied about, and maybe some of us had wandered onto chat GPT and the like and uh, experimented with some of those things. Could you kind of give us a framework and an understanding of AI? Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is that the word AI is used very similar to the way the word evolution is used. Mm. It's a catch-all for a whole bunch of different things. And it's not until you drill into what somebody is referring to that you can figure out what specifically they mean by AI. So we have a philosophy of AI or the philosophy that undergirds AI, which is this belief that humanity is purely material. And then as a result, we can mechanically reproduce all of human activity in some sort of computerized uh, way. And so really the philosophical approach to AI is the idea of replicating human behavior to create something that would be indistinguishable from a human. So that's the philosophical motive behind the larger project. Mm. Then there's also like the technological aspect. So someone could not buy into that philosophy and yet still be an artificial intelligence developer because they see the benefits of the technological improvements. And so a lot of people fall into a technological or philosophical category. Inside the technological, there's really can be broken down into three larger categories. One would be what we would call narrow AI. And narrow AI is pretty much what we have 
everything that is artificial intelligence now. It's the kind of thing that can do one specific task really, really, really well. Um, but it's not a general intelligence in that it can do different things. Mm. So for example, we can have something that is able to play chess really well or able to play games. So there have been some that have been created that can play multiple games like chess and go, but they're still a game oriented AI. They can't mm -hmm. read, they can't right. write, they can't do artistry. They have to be retrained to do that and they lose the previous skill set if they're retrained. Okay. So a narrow AI is the idea of one specific kind of task per trained system. General AI is the technological move towards creating something that would be an equivalent of a human. So if we were to create an artificial general intelligence, it would be the equivalent of the human intelligence in that it could do the broad range of things that humans could do. Okay. It could be continuously learning where it didn't require a human to provide feedback, a feedback loop, and it could learn different things rather than just being very sophisticated at one thing. And uh, it's self-learning. Yes, yes. It's not uh, a programmed learning. Yeah, the terminology would be continuous learning without human intervention. Okay, okay. And so then the last category is artificial superintelligence. And there's a lot of AI theorists about and futurists who say if we hit artificial general intelligence then it's just a matter of time till we get a super intelligence and that would be anything that would be more than humanity and that's where some people have compared an ai in that realm to god that's where a lot of our movies come from where you know the terminator these these mm -hmm. beings that are larger than humanity the movie i robot Mm -hmm. with Will Smith from yeah. eons ago, that concept where it came over and took over humanity, that's an artificial super intelligence view. Yeah. And so it's interesting in the AI categories, you have philosophy of technology, but then you also have Hollywood playing into the conversation in that we have, what do we dream can be done from a philosophical perspective? And also what do we dream can be done from a sci-fi perspective? Right. And then somewhere in the middle is what, technologists hope and fear and depending upon which philosophical system they they buy into they may or may not fear or see it as a tool how close are we to artificial general intelligence so we're we're in the narrow ai realm spectrum at the moment right where is artificial general intelligence is it is it being developed is it just a theory at this moment I would say that it's just a theory at this moment. Everything we have is narrow intelligence and they would have to become uh, more sophisticated to be able to bridge that gap. Now, one of the things that there are companies that are working on is they're trying to figure out continuous learning by providing a human feedback loop, but it's still continuous learning in the one category. Um, they haven't really had the ability to cross purpose and have a single algorithm be able to do multiple things. I think that that's an interesting question, though, that you asked, because what's come out in the media in the last year, year and a half, has been claims that we have sentient AI. Can you define that for us? Yeah. So that would be the idea that we have a, a, an AI that's conscious. There's a light on. It's not, you know, we say the light's on, but nobody's home kind of concept. Yep. With AI, it's just doing. It doesn't know what it's doing. It's not self-reflective. Yeah. Okay. There's no I. There's just whatever it's doing versus mm -hmm. with a human, there's an I thou distinction. There's a subject object distinction in that you, not only you are the subject and something else that you're interacting with is the object, but you know, you are. 
Yeah. Like there's an awareness of that distinction. Whereas we would say like animals may or may not have an awareness of their self, self yeah. even if though there is an I thou distinction. AI is more like an animal in that respect. Mm. Um, I would say even less than an animal because while it can interact with something different, it has no awareness at all of itself. Mm-hmm. Even if you could get it to print things out. So some have said, oh, well, we could get the application or, you know, the algorithm or the system to print out, you know, its name or its things that sound, if a human said it, you they would sound self-identifying. But the problem is you've got something hard-coded to print out human sounding language at a particular process, like part in the process, it's still not thinking about itself. It's still not aware of itself. Yeah. And so that uh, has been raised as a concern in the last year. There was a conversation that was posted from a Google, an ex Google employee last summer about, um, I think the, the chatbot system was called Lambda. And he was saying, oh, he had had an interaction with this application. He was responsible for testing it. And he had come to the conclusion that it was sentient. And so there was this big uh, hype and he posted the chat dialogue on the internet. And if you read it and you looked at it, you could see why he came to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. If you had no idea that the person he was interacting with wasn't really a person, if you, you thought wouldn't you wouldn't know. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the algorithm is aware of the communication, given what a chatbot algorithm essentially is. Right. There's clearly a lot of interest in this. There's a lot more articles being published. And I think you kind of tapped on to the fact that Hollywood has kind of uh, some sort of voice in this and and can kind of drive conversation towards that. What do you think is behind the massive increased interest in artificial intelligence? Is it the the platforms that are coming out now that are being made available? Because I know it's like decades of research that have led to what we have now. I think that has two different answers. So I think that the massive media flood of things in the last six months is a marketing thing. Yeah, I think it's just like any other hype cycle. I mean, three years ago, it was COVID and that's all that was over the media. You know, a year and a half ago, it was Russia and Ukraine and that's all we heard about. And I think that that to some degree plays into it. Our culture is a culture that likes to overinflate and go crazy about some topic for some period of time. Um, I do also think that there's some really interesting things that are coming out. So the, the chat GPT was a huge step forward in chat body animation or not automation. And so there was a interesting technological advancement that took place there. And there are a lot of those going on. And so I think both and I think there's also people are very interested in this for a couple of reasons. One, it's got a utilitarian value. So if I can get something to write my emails or uh, monitor my work or create my videos, if, if I can use something in order to make my life easier or make me be able to work less, well, yeah. There's a lot of value in that. Work smarter, Uh, not harder. Yeah. But then there's also people who are really hoping that this is going to be the end to the problem of evil and the problem of suffering. And you see that actually played out more in Hollywood. But I think Mm. that there are some people who do not hold a Christian worldview who are hoping that they can escape the confines of this body one day and the suffering and the pain and and the aging process by being able to be uploaded and be able to live forever so that they can escape (laughs) suffering and death. Okay. Walk us through that. 
So that's the idea that your intellect, your mind, your soul is put into a computer yeah. program? Yes. So if anybody has seen the TV show by Amazon, it's a couple years old now called Upload. That mm -hmm. one actually plays out this idea. And it's essentially this idea that all a human consciousness or your soul really is just the collection of your memories. And so if we could find a way to preserve all of that in some sort of digital form, uh, so be able to basically upload your memories into a hard drive, then you would be preserved in that of alternate reality. And so actually the really interesting thing- Or imprisoned. <laughs> well, that's actually one, the funny thing about that particular TV show is that's exactly what happens is he ends up going into this virtual reality where he's living in this quote unquote kind of like eternal retirement home. But now he still has all of these like financial dependencies because just like when you play games, they want you to buy like gems or whatnot. He's got that <laughs> okay. in life. And then to be uploaded into a different virtual retirement home, he has to be like pulled out of the, the server and like taken somewhere else by another human. And so they're still very dependent on humans to, yeah, okay. I mean, that's the Hollywood envisioning of this, but that's yeah. essentially the idea. Or also to uh, one of the other ideas they play out in this, this show is the idea of then later being able to download themselves back into a human body at some point okay. in the future. So maybe right. creating a humanoid robot that doesn't have the degradation capacity that a human body has. And so once we've, surpass the constraints of our current human body, maybe downloading ourselves back into some other physical manifestation so we can live in the real world again. I think it's more played out in Hollywood, but there yeah, are some sure. people who think it's attainable. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, there's a lot of fear around artificial intelligence and some of that's just a lack of understanding of what it is. And some of it is uh, maybe reading into the Hollywood dramatization that's been put out. So what's kind of behind some of those fears and what are, what are the things that you've seen kind of played out in your research and as it relates yeah. to that? I think there are a lot of fears coming from a lot of different areas. One I think is the Hollywood and Silicon Valley kind of hype about what this is or what it could be. And those I think are, probably the most scary ideas to people that they're going to create something that's human, that's going to take over humanity or is going to be find humanity unnecessary anymore. I think those are probably the biggest like fear factors for people, but I think that they're also the least likely to happen if at all, anytime soon. Yeah. Um, but I think there are some other real fears such as uh, one of the problems that exists with AI right now is that it does has something called like hallucinations or confabulations. Essentially the way like chat GPT and these other chat box work is they have language models and essentially they're just really good guessers mm -hmm. at what should come next in the sentence. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, really weird things sometimes they're really accurate, but they don't know when their knowledge ends and yeah. they don't know that they're making things up. And so as a result of this, they end up giving false information. And I think that's probably the category where we're in the biggest risk is that the more dependent people become on these, the more they are subject potentially to inaccurate information and yeah. the degradation of truth. I tested that hypothesis and tried to use it for a research project I was working on. And it the answer was 
excellent. I mean, it's like something better than what I could have wished for. But of course, I have to cite all my sources and everything. So, but I couldn't find the information in real life. And then I thought, I think this thing's making it up. And so there was some information that may, there may have been some truth behind it, obviously, because it is pulling in information from other places. But I think you're right. It's like the conclusion ends up becoming unhelpful and and maybe untrustworthy. Okay. Obviously, this is a Christian podcast and we're thinking about worldview and all that sort of thing. So how should Christians approach artificial intelligence? That's a really good question. Um, I have had people come to me and say, well, just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should. (laughs) And I actually think that that's probably the wrong approach. Um, Because as humanity, things are going to progress, things are going to be invented, whether or not Christians want to be a part of it. And I think a perfect example of this would be like the Amish. I think the Amish are fascinating. I actually would love to go spend a summer with them. But they decided to draw a line in the sand and say no more technological advancement past certain point. And as a result, in all of the current situations in our, our world, they are practically useless in being able to provide any assistance or be able to speak into the cultural situations. Mm. So, for example, they weren't able to help with COVID because they haven't bought into the idea of scientific uh, technological advancement. And so they didn't have any solutions when the world was you know, spinning out. How do we solve this epidemic or this mm. pandemic concept? Mm. They haven't been able to speak into military assistance for countries like Ukraine that are out of, you know, needed assistance because another power was trying to invade. And so I think as Christians, we might react or have a tendency to say, well, this line is too far Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to engage because I don't think that we should as a culture go in this direction. But the problem is the culture is going in that direction, whether or not we get on the boat. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important for Christians to be involved in a part of this, A, so mm-hmm. that we can understand it. Yeah. Um, because if you don't understand what it is, you can't have any conversation with anybody about what it isn't. Right. And then also because these systems are trained on data and they envelope the ethics of the subset of data that was given to them yes. to train on. Yes. And if Christians are not a part of that process, our ethical systems are not going to be built into these systems and taken into consideration. Now, just on that thought, it's a gathering of information that exists on the internet. Is that the kind of the, the premise, the idea on like uh, sort of the narrow artificial intelligence. So when, when you type in a thing, is it searching databases of information that's on available through the internet? That's a very simplistic way of explaining it. But yes, essentially that's (laughs) essentially that's the idea. I mean, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want an AI person to be listening I, to this and be like, "Yes, that's no, you know." <laughs> they'll just see my name and realize this is very simple. I think for the average Christian and the average person, that's a good way of explaining it. The reason I say that is, I read an article recently about artificial intelligence and religion, and what it said was the majority of the Christian position will be by those who contributed the most in terms of writing. And so they said it would be more of a reformed Presbyterian understanding of Christianity versus, for instance, a a Mennonite view. Now, there will be some of those things that are drawn in, and I think it sounds like it makes more of a balanced, if it's trying to write from a Christian perspective, or if you're asking it a question in relation to Scripture, it will give a response that is more heavily weighted to whatever's produced the most content. So I would slightly adjust that and say okay. it's 
going to be weighted in the direction of the data set it's given, not necessarily the data okay. set that exists. Okay. So it's not going to search the internet, but these algorithms are trained. And essentially, if you kind of simplistically think about the way a child is trained, you picks up a round object and you say ball, and it picks up another one and you say ball, and then it picks up an apple and it says ball, and you're like, no, apple. And so it you correct, okay. and then it adjusts. This is the human feedback loop. So there are different ways you can train it. You can do it with a human feedback loop similar to that, where when it goes mm -hmm. off course, you correct it. Right. But there are also ones where they're set up where you tell it in advance, all of the images you're about to look at are apples. And then it goes and looks at thousands of images. And from that can, comes up with the concept of what an apple is. So you've already told it in advance what it's going to learn by this set of images. So the training of these algorithms is not just a free for all, like give it access to any and all data. It's someone has given it a, a subset of all human data that exists relative to whatever the thing is that they want this thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to Christianity, you could train it with all of Christian literature across all of history, but you could right. train it with all of reformed literature right. or Mennonite literature, or you could, you know, any number of things. And there's actually a Jesus AI. I looked at that yesterday. I kind of <laughs> wish I hadn't done that. That was research for our interview. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's clear from that one that that one has been trained not so much off of the Bible or even just what Jesus said and the, the quotes we have from him in the Gospels, but it's actually been also trained on people's ideas about what it means to be a Christian, because there's a lot of doing good things and yes. behavior-oriented sort of moral, Yeah, moralism, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. The way you put it earlier is, is that Christians would have a voice into this and helping it to have a sort of Christian ethic Again, I, you know, there will be so many voices into AI, but you don't want to leave your voice out from right. a Christian perspective. So how would Christians have an input? You know, obviously, a lot of people are probably listening to this and thinking, I'm not going to have any input on AI at all. There might be a few listening <laughs> who are, uh, maybe some university students. But how can we help contribute to the conversation? I think that's a good question. Uh, one, I think you need to spend some time studying it. Uh, I think it's very important for us to be aware there's a lot of technology, even outside of AI, that is a part of our lives that we as Christians don't necessarily understand mm. what it is. I think also it's we need to be a part of understanding where it's being used. It's being used in a lot of everyday places like yeah. Netflix or Hulu, when it predicts your, oh, the right. movies you're watching, it's right. being used in healthcare and the military, all sorts of places. So I think being aware of that. And then I think as a result, having conversations with people in your community about the ethical implications for it. There's a, a recent development that's come out where it was uh, being heralded as we've created an AI that can read your mind. And that's been in the news in the past couple of months. And essentially, that is an fMRI scan and something like a chat GPT. So they've got some MRI scans where they see blood flow in your brain and they have a way of understanding what words you're thinking about when the certain areas of your brain get mm. blood flow. And then as a result, they take that data, they feed it into this AI, and then it can kind of translate that into sentences. It's not overly sophisticated at this point. It's very, very inaccurate, but mm. it's definitely an, an, an innovation. 
but that is an ethics conversation. Mm. So you may not be a, a neurosurgeon or a neuroscientist or an artificial intelligence developer or any of those things, but that's an ethics conversation because it has yeah. to do with privacy. Right now, yeah. people have to contribute and pay attention to it and they have to consent to this kind of testing, but who knows where this research will go in the future. And it would be better mm. for us to, as a culture, have the conversation about, all right, what yeah. if we get to the point where we can read people's thoughts? Yeah. Like, what does that mean for privacy? Should we then legislate against that? And so those mm -hmm. are the kinds of conversations where you need to be aware of what is happening, what it is, so that we can have intelligent political and cultural conversations about these topics. So to take that and come back to the fear aspect, you also don't want to be a person who's going around, you know, carrying signs and saying, you know, the right. computers are reading our minds right. and stuff like that. Right. So there's got to be kind of a fine balance between having a 100%. helpful, constructive conversation and then looking like a, you know, a Looney Tunes character. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree with that. And I think that that's where the more you know, the easier it will be. When you're able to understand what goes into the thing that you're afraid of, it becomes less fearful, yes. I think. Yes, yeah, that's good. And there's also really good potential applications for that because oh, there are people perfect. who can't speak you know, they've had a stroke or something that prevents yeah. them from being able to verbalize, but they're still thinking like that would be a huge advancement yeah. in their ability to communicate. And so I think also keeping in check. And I think that's where the Christian worldview has a lot to offer. God is still on his throne. Mm. No matter what a human creates, it could be horrible for right. us, but it can also be a wonderful thing. Yeah. Like most things that are created, right? Right. Potential for great about, good and potential for great <laughs> evil. <laughs> it's all about whose hands it's in. Yeah. And so you can use a lot of things for as weapons or as tools to build mm -hmm. up. And I think we're at another potentially revolution. We had the industrial revolution. There was probably a lot of fear when that yeah. took place. Sure. I think we're at one of those now potentially. And we're going that way. And so we just need to equip ourselves with knowledge and understanding about what this stuff really is. Yeah. You brought up a great point and something I definitely had not thought of, but let's talk a little bit about some of the positive applications of AI. So even the, the idea of someone who's had a stroke or a brain aneurysm or something, they can't speak. And now you're able to actually use the technology to allow them to have a voice to say how they're feeling or what's going on. But then we can also kind of do the flip side and talk about some of the negative ones as well. Yeah. I think any of them kind of have that ability. So that was a scientific example. I think artificial intelligence to varying degrees is used in military applications. So the concepts of drones, their GPS and monitoring, their ability to take the human element out of warfare. So it saves a bunch of lives. So I think there's positives and negatives. Obviously, that can be taken too far in the yeah. military application. Um, but it also, you know, any war or any instigation between different countries that doesn't result in massive human death is always a positive thing because, you know, sometimes you can't avoid military situations. I think there's also a lot of economic ones. So there is a couple of different applications that you can record someone and get all of their facial movements and the way they talk. And, and then you can use that to create videos of them. And so then you can give it text and it will appear as though the person that you're you have recorded is actually saying this stuff, even though they didn't actually say it. Yikes. So that's good and bad. Like that can yeah. be used to get somebody <laughs> to say all sorts of things you wouldn't right. necessarily say, right. but it's also has a huge 
you know, potential impact for like training videos mm. or thinks that's something that's used at my company is they've got our CEO. He has done one of the, the recordings. So then they can put him in training videos and, you know, they, he doesn't have to sit there all day right. training. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Hmm. Right. And so I'm there's totally a huge not. financial application. And so, yeah, I think pretty much any technological advancement could be spun either way. Yeah. Well, and that's good. You've brought up some positives, but the exact same positives can also be negatives. And I think yeah. that's always a helpful reminder to us. Yeah. Okay. At the very beginning, you had mentioned this concept of the soul in silicon. Can you break that down for us and explain that? Yeah. So as Christians, we believe that the soul is something that is preserved. It's something that's going to survive our death. So we tend to think of it as something that's immaterial, but People who do not necessarily agree with the Christian worldview think that whatever it is that makes humans distinct, which is what we would associate with the soul in the Christian worldview, whatever it is that makes humans distinct is purely material. It's just a matter of your configuration of your brain or the way that the different neurons interact. And so there, there's varying uh, definitions or, or takes on that. But it's essentially that there's no immaterial aspect. Everything is just physical about what the human soul is. And mm -hmm. so if everything about the human soul is purely physical, then we should, in theory, be able to reverse engineer that in silicon, which is what a lot of computer parts are made out of. And so mm -hmm. that's the concept there. And actually, that's Daniel Dennett, in his writings, he's very into the artificial intelligence and AI philosophy. And that's one of the things he says is we shouldn't talk about whether or not we can create a human and whether or not human intelligence is something that's immaterial or not. Let's just try to build it and then we'll know. Mm, that's thanks. his take is if we could create a humanoid robot that is indistinguishable from a human, then we would have proven that the human is purely material in his mind. Yikes. Okay, so now we're in a theological conversation. Does this lead to atheism? You know, the, the whole idea of artificial intelligence, we can recreate, we can do all that. I mean, this is what you're writing about, right? I mean, this is your, your project. Yeah. So, no, I don't think that it leads to atheism at all. So even if, let's just say, they accomplish their goal. Mm -hmm. Let's say they create a humanoid robot that is practically indistinguishable from a human. Let's say they figure out a way to download people's consciousness into some sort of memory bank let's just you know give them all of their dreams sure it yeah. still doesn't prove that there is no god and the reason for that is christians don't believe in the existence of god because humans are distinct we believe that the god exists because he's reality, revealed himself yeah, to us. reality tells us that and so philosophy and logic gets us to a creator, an uncaused first cause, because everything that exists around us has come into existence. And if anything that's come into existence has to be brought into existence by something else, and you can't have an infinite regress of that. You can't go on forever. So you have to have something somewhere at the back of that, that regression yeah. that itself was not caused. And at the very minimum, that tells us there is a God. It doesn't necessarily bias the Christian God that requires yeah. more yeah. you know, analysis, but a creator. Yes. And I mean, even Dawkins kind of came to that conclusion at some point, right? I mean, he, he's, he even will admit that something had to set something in motion. Yeah. So I think that that ends up 
answering the question of, of whether or not artificial intelligence can be a question of atheism or support for atheism, because there's a variety of theistic arguments for the existence of God that have nothing to do with human distinctness. Christian, along those same lines of what we've been talking about, why do some people believe that artificial intelligence is the path to freedom from religion? I think it's because they have a misunderstanding of why uh, Christians believe in God and also why theists in general believe in God. I think that they believe it's um, a God of the gaps kind of argument that people are wanting there to be a source of existence in order to s- explain the the unexplainable. And so the more we can explain from a neuroscience and technological perspective, the less need there is for God. That may be the reason that certain individuals believe in God, but that's not the reason yeah. in general that there is a belief in God. There are logical reasons apart from any particular person's personal reasons. So there's a lot Lately on biblical illiteracy, a lot of articles have been written, I think, recently. And I think we're seeing that, I mean, that's always been an issue, right? But it's like now in the sort of post-COVID era or whatever era we're in, even thinking about the de-churched, you know, something we talked about a little bit earlier. But it's like, how is that going to play a role in some of this artificial intelligence conversation? So, So, I mean, like hypothetically, if you want a Hollywood situation, what happens if you get rid of all your Bible scholars and all your material and all you have is artificial intelligence to tell people what the Christian faith is? I think that's going to be a huge problem. <laughs> well, and, and I'm pretty sure we're, we can be confident that that won't happen. I mean, yeah. if scripture's prophetic word is that God will never be left without a voice and his word will always be available and around until Christ returns. I think that we can confidently stand on that. But I mean, it could make you worry a little bit. And even thinking about early church history, I mean, there were days when they were persecuting people who Christians and people who had Bibles, and then they were taking them and confiscating them, burning them, whatever. And so there was, you know, if you think about ebbs and flows through Christian history, I mean, there were times where even today, I mean, in parts of the world where Bibles are not easily accessible, So let's kind of talk about that through the artificial intelligence realm. Yeah, I think that that's a huge selling point for two things. One, people need to learn their Bibles. Two, um, people need to learn how to think, not what to think. I think that one of the areas that the church could really use in strengthening is teaching people how to think for themselves. This is one of the things that scripture calls us out, be able to test every spirit. The early church and the early Christians were given creeds so that when a new preacher came into town, they had a very clear, distinct thing that they could run the new preacher's message through to know whether or not this person was orthodox or not. And I think as Christians, we need to do that. We need to work on Christian education so that people know what they think, uh, what they believe, because there's a lot of confusion even within the church about what Christianity is. <laughs> um, right. yeah. I had a conversation with someone recently who thought it was just an ethical system, but they, you know, for all intents and purposes, considered themselves a Christian. And so I think that those two things are really important. And that's probably has nothing necessarily to do with artificial intelligence. I think that's in general. Yeah. You're going to read people general, who are yeah. scholars and you need to be able to vet them. Um, You're going to go to different churches. You're going to watch videos from different pastors on the internet because artificial intelligence is going to be trained on all those things. So if you can't discern whether the pastor on YouTube is preaching heresy or not, then you're definitely not going to be able to do it when the artificial intelligence is. 
Well, but I think it can play into it because if you're not going to a church where you can go to, if you had a pastor who you trusted and you said, what do you think of this guy or this whatever it is, robot, if he's not there to give you the answer, but the only thing to give you the answer is the robot, then that would be problematic. It would be, but I would also argue that the, that being that dependent on any one pastor is also potentially problematic because pastors go astray sometimes as well. So I think we should definitely be equipping people to even know when their pastor goes astray. Well, and you're right. I mean, so it all comes back to knowing your Bible and, you know, to your point, having confessions and creeds, which are sort of the bumpers along the roadway that keep us on line with scripture. So creeds and confessions should be biblical. Yeah. They can't be outside of that. I think you're right. I think that should be kind of the main point of emphasis, I think, on that. Yeah. Um, just sort of as we're thinking about having conversations about artificial intelligence, and again, it might be a little bit early for some people, you know, thinking about opportunities that will come up as the conversations of artificial intelligence become more common, opportunities that believers have to frame or reframe the gospel for people as questions come up like what it means to be human, what our purpose is, is there a creator? I know we've talked a lot about each of those types of things. Just from a Christian perspective, someone who's who is educating themselves on the topic now, this is now into your other realm of great knowledge and understanding on, a, on apologetics. You can now actually have a helpful conversation with someone about these things. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of evangelistic value in artificial intelligence, um, especially if you take a look at the Hollywood manifestation of this. There is a whole lot of conversation at the academic level about what our Hollywood movies on artificial intelligence are saying, and they are mm-hmm. telling the story that people are wanting a savior. It was really fascinating. There was this one article I read when I was doing my dissertation that was written by a military strategist for an Eastern European country who was analyzing artificial intelligence for military purposes and what it could look like application wise. And he started talking about general intelligence and super intelligence and the language he used sounded religious. He started talking mm. about these things as though they were gods. And he even used in a military strategy paper, the idea that we would be creating a God. I actually, in my dissertation, pulled this quote out and used it at the very end because I was so fascinated by it because it sounded like Jesus. What they are looking for is this Already being has is big, that's bigger than here. us, yeah. that can <laughs> save us from ourselves, that can save us wow. from pain and suffering and death. And Mm. I looked at that and I was like, this is Jesus. Like God became man and he is and has Mm. done all of these things and will complete them. And I think that that's Mm. a really great opportunity when we look at these movies to say, this is a yearning of the human heart. And there's also probably some feelings about what they think about God. So the Terminator, Mm. that gives us a very distinct, a fearful view of this being that's bigger and greater than us. And so that probably speaks to a fear of God from some people. Mm. So wrestling with, if that's their view of what would happen if there was a being that was greater than us, is that they would become this thing that would enslave us and control us and kill us. Well, okay, Mm. where does that come from? That's not what we're given. That sounds like you might have a misunderstanding of God. Let's like wrestle through what you believe about God and where that might've come from and and what Mm. God actually has said about himself. Yeah, that's such a helpful thought. And you're right. I mean, even thinking about how people are created, 
They're created with the desire for that. They know that they look around and they say, this is not how it should be. Yes. But Christians have an answer. Yes. Uh, How good we are at giving that answer depends. (laughs) But I think having now a, a conversation in which answers that are helpful are invited and welcomed, I think Christians would be silly to miss that opportunity. Yeah. Well, I have learned so much. And um, Kristen, I'm going to go write PhD dissertation on artificial intelligence just based on our conversation (laughs) uh, today. (laughs) Just give me six years and I'll get it through. Um, I'm really thankful for you to take the time and and come in and chat with us on this. And, And I hope this is helpful for people that they're not intimidated by it, but that they have a realistic view of artificial intelligence. They have a little bit of uh, knowledge now in their mind, and and hopefully that'll drive them to go and maybe read and do some more research of their own and have helpful conversations and and hopefully have some gospel conversations uh, around this subject matter. And we have you to thank for that. So Christian Davis, again, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Candid Conversations. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It helps people find us. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.